When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 180 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. All right. Different kind of show today. Fun show today, but different. Fun, but different. Here's the deal. There's not a ton of good college football on the docket this weekend. It's actually the first weekend in two seasons that we don't have a single matchup of one ranked team versus another. A little bit of a quiet slate this week. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to go over the big games. I'll tell you the the three games that I think are the biggest. Syracuse at Clemson, South Carolina hosting Alabama, and Florida at Kentucky. I will give you maybe about a two or three minute kind of thought on each of those games. Rather than going eight to ten minutes like I did last week with LSU in Texas and Texas A&M and, and Clemson, I will give you the short abbreviated version of that. Then what I will do is something completely different. So earlier this week, I put a poll on Twitter that basically said, wow, I hadn't really been paying attention, but have you guys noticed how there are a ton of second-year coaches in college football who are just a complete disaster. Chip Kelly comes to mind. Willie Taggart at Florida State comes to mind. Jeremy Pruitt at the University of Tennessee comes to mind. Chad Morris at Arkansas. Uh, Scott Frost hasn't been very good at Nebraska. Kevin Sumlin hasn't been very good at Arizona. So what I am going to do, instead of doing a million uh, minutes on the big games, I'm going to do the short recap, the short preview of the big games, I'm going to then power rank the worst second-year coaches in college football because I think you will be amazed at just how bad some of these guys are. Some of these guys who were very well regarded when they were hired, very well compensated when they got to school. We will wrap with a couple other things. One, I'm going to talk to you about the USC athletic director being fired. It may seem silly. Why am I talking AD stuff? It's There is a reason, and it is a big reason. It is a potential college football landscape changing reason. I'll get into that. I will wrap with my against the spread picks, 10-5-1 overall against the spread this year. That's about 66%. And I should mention, on the back end, I have a guest today, Brandon Walker from Barstool Sports. If you follow Barstool, I'm a Barstool guy. Uh, Brandon Walker is the newest college football guy. Kind of a wild story. He was doing a periscope for my bookie, a good sponsor of mine, a good friend of mine. Um, The boss at Barstool had a problem with my bookie. He hired Brandon on the spot just to kind of spite my bookie. Uh, Listen, I have nothing but a good relationship with my bookie. I can't speak for other people why they may or may not like them. But 
Brandon has a wild backstory. He joins me. We talk college football, and uh, it's a really, really fun interview. So I hope you guys enjoy that. And that is kind of the recap for the show. I should mention two stories that I will not be touching today. A couple kind of college basketball-ish stories. The first one, there was a new report from Yahoo out about another allegation, another wiretap with the Arizona assistant coach, Book Richardson, who's currently in prison. Um, I'm not going to touch that for a couple reasons. One, first of all, the FBI has already kind of come out and said, we're not going to use this wiretap in court, in our court proceedings, because we don't know if it's valid or not, right? And it's the thing that I've been saying with this FBI thing since the beginning. Just because somebody says something on a wiretap when they know they're not being recorded um, doesn't mean that it's true. And so if the FBI can't tell whether it's true or not, I'm not going to get into it. Uh, Plus, let's be honest. Here's the bottom line. Book Richardson, the former Arizona assistant coach who was caught on the wiretap, he is actually currently, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, he's literally in prison. And whatever you think about violating NCAA rules, if you think that Arizona needs to be punished, that's fine. But it is still insane that a person got prison time for breaking NCAA rules. So between the fact that the FBI couldn't even confirm this stuff, and then the second thing is it feels like it's just piling on a little bit to kind of talk about this guy while he's in prison. So we're going to stay away from that. The other story, which I'm going to stay away from because it's kind of a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo, I don't think anybody really cares, is this report out of my uh, the state that I live in now. I don't want to say my home state. My home state's Connecticut. But the state I live in now, California, they are now saying that that uh, basically they passed a bill that says that student athletes can now get paid for their image and likeness. I don't believe it changes anything in the immediate moment in college sports. It's going to be litigated. I'm not going to pretend to be a lawyer when I'm not. So I will just say that when more information comes out, when a player at UCLA or USC or Cal State Fullerton or wherever, San Diego State, can make money off their likeness, we will talk about that. But until then, I'm not going to bore you with legal mumbo-jumbo, especially with college football here, and so much to talk about. So that should be a good rundown of the show, and let's get into it. Before I do want to remind everybody, as always, please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on a number of different platforms. Most of you iTunes slash slash Apple Podcasts. If you have an Android like me, TuneIn Radio is, or not TuneIn Radio, Podcast Addict is the spot. You can also subscribe on TuneIn Radio. You can subscribe on Spotify. Wherever you listen to podcasts, this show is available. Also, please make sure to rate and review the show. So many of you guys have been great about that. I genuinely appreciate it. Uh, As I mentioned, shout out to Casey Matthews, who last week left a very nice Uh, response basically saying, if you aren't listening to this podcast, do you even like sports? So thank you to Casey. Thank you to Mark Kinnett. Thank you to Benjamin Allen Patrick, everybody who has given me a rating and review. If you have not yet, go ahead and do that now. Also, follow me on Instagram. In addition to that, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Uh, The following is growing there. I post my college football picks there every Wednesday. The picks are red hot. I'm not telling you you have to follow me, but if you like making money, follow me there, and uh, I'm continuing to pump out all sorts of good stuff there. 
And finally, if you have questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Uh, again, as I said last episode, we have a couple basketball questions that are just sitting there in the inbox waiting to get answered. But basically, because we still have a few weeks before basketball really picks up, uh, I'm going to go ahead and wait on that. Good news is we have plenty of time to talk about basketball. And as I've told you a hundred times, when there is real basketball stuff to talk about, we're going to do it. I am psyched for college basketball. Um, honestly, I, I listen, I could talk about it right now. I could break down Duke's depth chart and is Louisville the favorite in the ACC and is anybody going to beat Kentucky in the SEC? Like I could do that right now, but it doesn't feel like it's necessary right now with so much college football. So we will get to basketball when the time calls. But now, let's get into this show because, as I said, the bottom line, not a great weekend of college football, but isn't this also kind of why we love college football? Because think about it. This is the thing that I argue with my radio partner, Arnie Spanier, every Saturday night about from September until December. He'll say, oh, there's no good games this week. How come Alabama only plays New Mexico State? And, and he whines and complains. He's a big whiner, that guy is what he is. But what I always say is the thing that makes college football great is you don't need big games, right? Like we spent so much time talking about Texas A&M Clemson last week, and it was a total dud. Meanwhile, Michigan Army, which nobody was talking about, except for me a little bit on this podcast, hate to brag, uh, nobody was talking about that game. That turned into one of the wildest games that we've seen in recent years. And so I've seen a stat to back this up is that, as I said, um, it's the first time since week seven of 2017, so almost two full calendar years since we haven't had a single matchup of ranked opponents. But as Chris Felica, the Bear, College Game Day pointed out today, he said that the last time that we didn't have a single matchup of top 25 teams, guess what? Seven unranked teams lost to ranked teams. And that's what makes college football great, right? So there don't have to be big matchups. Sometimes the matchups that look great on paper are total duds. Sometimes the matchups that look boring on paper are really good. And so let's get into what I think are the two or three biggest games. I'm not going to pre preview every, every one of them. And some of the games that I don't preview might end up being the upsets. Like, I think Indiana can keep things close against Ohio State. I'm not going to talk about it because I don't know if they will. But it's going to be a good weekend in college football. And let's get into the games. The three games that I mentioned that I think are the biggest games of the weekend Clemson, Syracuse, we will start with that one. That was the one that College Game Day basically admitted, like, yeah, if Syracuse wins last week, they were saying this last Friday, last Saturday, like, if Syracuse wins, we're going to go to Syracuse. Carry it home. That'd be awesome. Just one problem. Syracuse got smoked by Maryland. They gave up almost 700 yards of total offense. I did not make that number up. Literally almost 700 yards of total offense. And so because of that, I think it took a lot of wind out of this game, a lot of wind out of the sails of this game, is that I don't think anybody really thinks that Clemson could beat Syracuse. And by the way, you know who else doesn't think Clemson can beat, or Syracuse can beat Clemson? Is Vegas. Vegas made Syracuse about a, or uh, Clemson about a 25-point favorite. It's already up to 28 points. Now look, I don't know if <laughs> Clemson is going to win by four touchdowns, but I know that recent history says that this will be a close game. Keep in mind that last year, Syracuse almost beat Clemson at Clemson. Them and Texas A&M played Clemson tougher than Alabama, Notre Dame, or any of the big boys in college football. Um, 
So there's that, and also keep in mind that Syracuse beat Clemson two years ago at the, the Carrier Dome. The problem is Syracuse's defense is abysmal. Like I said, 750 yards of total offense. I don't think Clemson is caught off guard. I don't think they're surprised. And like I said, I think Clemson's already unofficially clinched a playoff berth. I really, truly do, because they are a team that is so much better than everybody else in the ACC. If you're hoping for the potential close game in the ACC, this might be it. I think Syracuse will be able to score points on Clemson. But again, if Texas A&M with all those five-star kids couldn't really move the ball against Clemson, I have doubts that Syracuse will be able to do it. So this is just a game that I think on paper looks good. It feels good. Syracuse has played Clemson tough. I don't buy that it's actually going to be a close game when these two teams play, uh, but I hope it is. I hope it is. I love Syracuse when the dome is rocking. It is a great place to watch a football game. It's a great place to watch a basketball game. I just don't buy that this is the team that is going to give Clemson trouble. I do think at some point somebody is going to catch them off guard and it's going to be a 21-14 game going into the fourth quarter. But with the way Syracuse plays defense, I don't think it's the game. I like Clemson to win big here. Second big game. Beginning of the SEC on CBS. We love that 3.30 window. What do we got? We got Bama at South Carolina. Last time, unless I'm mistaken, that Bama went to South Carolina, Steven Garcia, remember that guy? That guy was crazy. Guy got in all sorts of trouble. But he won ball games. Steven Garcia threw for like four touchdowns, 400 yards, whatever. Bama actually lost to South Carolina. This was the year after their first national championship in the Nick Saban era. They go to South Carolina with Mark Ingram and Julio Jones, and they get run out of the building. Well, I'll say this. Steven Garcia is not at South Carolina anymore. Steve Spurrier is not the head coach at South Carolina anymore. And I think Alabama absolutely boat races South Carolina. And by the way, I'm the guy that said, a week ago, I was never going to talk about South Carolina on this show again. So first of all, I want to apologize for being a liar. I'm sorry about that. I apologize. I'm better than that. I need to hold myself to a... I'm like Bill Belichick right now. I need to hold myself to a higher standard. The standard is the standard. I said I was never going to talk South Carolina again, yet here I am talking South Carolina. But the bottom line is this. Will Muschamp doesn't know what he's doing. Will Muschamp can only win a game one way, and that's if the score is 10-6. to 6. Even in the game against South Car or against North Carolina that they almost won, but they lost to Mac Brown, they only had 270 yards of total offense. You can't beat most teams in major college football if you only have 270 yards of total offense. Add in the fact that, oh, by the way, South Carolina is playing a true freshman at quarterback in his first career SEC start. That is like throwing a mouse into a snake's cage. Like it's just gonna get you're just gonna get eaten up. Like literally, this kid might this kid might not make it out alive. Alabama, they feast on young quarterbacks like this. Alabama, I think, has something to prove. I should add this as well. And I put this in my picks. If you want to follow my picks, you can read them. Aaron Torres online at gmail.com. Also on the Instagram feed, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. But I said this. Alabama, 20, they're a 26-point favorite. That feels like a big number. It's almost four touchdowns on the road in the SEC. It just means more. The SEC. You know what? Alabama played four SEC road games last year. Closest final score was 29 points. They beat LSU 29-0 in Baton Rouge. And I'll just tell you this right now. I'll just tell you this right now. LSU, South Carolina and LSU people. South Carolina and LSU I think Bama wins big. They are actually one of my picks, which I will get to later in the show. The last big game 
little bit of a bummer. Florida at Kentucky. I know I have a lot of Kentucky listeners to this show. I glossed over the Terry Wilson injury last episode. Full disclosure, Saturday night, so much going on. I'm prepping for my radio show. I saw him go down, but didn't really kind of do the follow-up. Went back, watched the game. Obviously, one, you feel terrible for Terry Wilson. You feel awful about the situation. Um, And you feel awful not only because it's a season-ending injury. That is what's important. But it is worth noting that Terry Wilson was playing really well this year. I was actually really, really impressed with how much more comfortable he was in the pocket, throwing the ball. Uh, Last year, he was primarily a runner. This year, he was much more comfortable, like I said, in the pocket, throwing the ball. And so it is so disappointing to see this kid go down with an injury. It also, to me, from at least a gambling perspective, makes this game a total stay away. I don't even think Mark Stoops knows what he's going to get out of his backup quarterback, Sawyer Smith, transfer from Troy. Um, You look at this whole situation, and you have a backup quarterback for Kentucky. But then on the flip side from Florida, I don't think we really know all that much about Florida either. Keep in mind, they looked absolutely terrible against Miami and were very lucky to escape that game with a win. The defense was phenomenal. But even last week against Tennessee Martin, uh, Florida won big, but if you actually watch the game or at least browse the game, they really struggled to move the ball early in that game. They kind of picked it up midway through the second quarter and ran away with the game. As far as this one's concerned, like I said, from a gambling perspective, it's a stay away. Kentucky, by the way, I don't think most people realize this, the Kentucky fans listening do. Kentucky has actually played uh, Florida really tough even before last year when they beat Florida in the swamp. I think three of the the last four games before last season's win were a one-touchdown game. And so I think Kentucky can keep it close. I also think that one of Kentucky's strengths, which is their front seven on defense, DeAndre Square up front, uh, Josh Paschal in the middle, I think they go up against Florida's weakness, which is the O-line. And so I'll be honest, even with a backup quarterback, it would not surprise me if Kentucky won this game. I would not predict it. I'll say Florida in a close win because they do have the veteran quarterback, Felipe Franks. Not that it matters because that guy is a mess. He is not developing at any type of rate, but... I just, it's one, you know, listen, you guys want my honest opinion. I always try to give you my honest opinion. It's one where I just have to stay away because I just don't know what I'm going to get from either team, specifically from either team's quarterback, especially Kentucky, first-time starter in the SEC, Sawyer Smith. So those are the three big games. Now what I want to do is kind of switch gears because I kind of realized this. So last Sunday morning, you know, I'm kind of going over everything that happened in college football this weekend, and I kind of had a light bulb moment, right? I had this moment where I said, man, you know, this guy that I follow on Twitter is making fun of Jeremy Pruitt, and that guy over there is making fun of Chip Kelly, and that girl over there is making fun of Scott Frost, and what about Willie Taggart? He's terrible. And it hit me, like, wait a second now. There's a lot of head coaches who are not very good that just so happen to be in their second year. And it's kind of crazy because two years ago, The college football coaching carousel was insane, and the number of good jobs that opened up was insane. That was the year that Florida opened up. That was the year that Florida State opened up. That was the year Nebraska opened up. That was the year Texas A&M opened up. That was the year that Tennessee, technically, they opened up two or three times because they hired Greg Schiano. Then the fans went crazy, which I don't blame them for, by the way. Then they got rid of Greg Schiano. Then they went after Mike Gundy, and they thought they had Mike Leach. 
And they ended up with Jeremy Pruitt. But they had like two or three hires that, that offseason. Arizona hired somebody. Mississippi State hired somebody. Ole Miss hired somebody. And look, some of these guys have been good. Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M has been awesome. Dan Mullen at Florida has been awesome. Uh, Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State, he's been okay. Like, he hasn't been terrible. But there's been a lot of guys that are really terrible. And so I figured rather than sitting here and trying to force uh, a 12-minute conversation on the Clemson-Syracuse game, rather than that, let's do something fun. Let's do something that I like to call power ranking the worst second-year coaches in college football. The guys that a lot of pomp, a lot of circumstance, a lot of money, big paychecks, they're just not getting the job done. Because I think when I list these guys out, you will be surprised at just how bad some of these guys are. All right, so I'm going to go with top six. And I'm not going to power rank everybody. Like I said, Jimbo Fisher's been pretty good. Uh, Dan Mullen's been good. Joe Moorhead has been good enough. Some of these guys I'm going to leave off because it's just not fair to put them on there, right? Like Matt Luke, the head coach at Ole Miss, it's not really fair to put him on the list. I mean, he only got the job because the program was a mess. There were sanctions from Hugh Freeze. So I'm not going to put him on the list. I'm not going to put a couple other guys. Joe Moorhead has done enough. Here are the six guys that have been the most miserable at their jobs. Drum roll, please. I don't know. You know, I wish I had some drum roll. Number six, Arizona's Kevin Sumlin. Oh, you remember Kevin Sumlin. Year one, him and Johnny Manziel take over college football, 11-2. and two, They win at Bama. And I'll be perfectly honest. If there had been a college football playoff in 2012, Texas A&M might have won the national championship. Instead, it's a two-team championship. I don't even remember who won that year. Was that the Bama? That was the Bama-Notre Dame year, I believe. But point being, Johnny Manziel, Kevin Sumlin, we think that we have seen this ascendant star in college football coaching, Kevin Sumlin. Nope. Uh, he's terrible. He got fired from Texas A&M. Every year, they basically got worse. Once Johnny Manziel left, they certainly got worse. Once all of Mike Sherman's recruits, which include Mike Evans, who's a pro bowler in the NFL, a bunch of really good offensive linemen, a bunch of really good defensive linemen, once all those guys left, Texas A&M turned into a disaster. So no, Kevin Sumlin, not a good coach. Still got a $10 million buyout, so shout out to him. Got his full buyout of $10 million, goes to Arizona, and everybody wanted to crush Arizona, Rich Rod, okay. Like, Rich Rod made five bowl games in six years. He wasn't bad. What does Kevin Sumlin do in year one? Five and seven, misses a bowl game. You like that You like that sound effect, by the way? Five and seven, misses a bowl game. To make matters worse, spends the whole offseason talking about, we got to clean things up, get better, da-da-da, this and that. What does he do? First game of the season, did it again. Sorry, it's the last time I'll do it, I promise. Kevin Sumlin, they lose 45-38 to 38 at Hawaii. On week zero, and the whole cycle starts over again. They did beat Northern Arizona last week, but gave up 41 points. Give them a little bit of a pass. Most of those points came late when the game was already over. But let's just say uh, Kevin Sumlin not instilling a whole lot of confidence in his fan base. Number five, Scott Frost, Nebraska. Now look, I'll defend Scott Frost. I don't think he's been terrible. But when you think about the circumstances that he came to Nebraska... I think everybody expected a little bit more. Remember, this was a guy that Florida very much wanted. He was at UCF. Some would even say he won a national championship there. Depending on who you ask, he's a national championship coach. But he's at UCF. They go undefeated. Florida wants him. But he is the link to the past for Nebraska. 
Nebraska's been bad for 20 years, and they say, let's go. We got this, this young coach was our quarterback on our last national championship team, and he is the hot young coach, and Nebraska got him. That'd be like in 20 years from now if Anthony Davis was the hot young college basketball head coaching prospect and he came to Kentucky. Like Kentucky fans would be over the mood. And by the way, Kentucky had been irrelevant for 20 years. It's not going to happen, but I'm just using that as a hypothetical. Scott Frost gets there. He won a national championship at UCF. Kidding, again. But he was really good at UCF. 13-0, beats Auburn in the Peach Bowl. And what happens? 4-8 and last year. 0-6 to start the season. They lose to Troy. Ironically, I believe Sawyer Smith, who's starting this week at Kentucky, played in that game. Um, they lose to Troy. Start 0-6, finish 4-8. and Even despite all that. This offseason, oh, Nebraska, they're back. They're going to win the Big Ten West. Just one problem. They still suck. Week one, they struggle to beat South Alabama. They need three non-offensive touchdowns. Last week, week two, they were up 17-7 to going into the fourth quarter against Colorado. Lose that game in overtime. And Scott Frost is now sitting at 5-8, and 5-9, and nine, excuse me, through a year and change, not saying he won't figure it out. Just saying, again, relative to the hype, not exactly living up to expectations. All right, let's get to number four, Chad Morris at Arkansas. And I'll give Arkansas credit for this. They have been such a laughingstock, so bad, that I think everyone's just completely overlooking how bad Chad Morris has been. I guess when you're the greatest coach of our lifetimes gets fired because he rode his motorcycle into a ditch with his mistress on the back seat of his motorcycle, you kind of forget everything else that happened after that. And I think everyone has amnesia with Arkansas because Chad Morris has been a total disaster. For people who haven't been paying attention, he is now 3-10 in a year and change at Arkansas. Those three wins, drumroll prees, Opening week last year against Eastern Illinois. Okay, cool. Tulsa at home. Okay, cool. This year, Portland State at home. So three wins, two of them against FB, FCS opponents, the last one against Tulsa. He is now 0-9 in the SEC, and nobody even is even paying attention. I don't know if it's because people are still caught up on Bobby Petrino, on Brett Bielema, the fact that Jeremy Pruitt has been just as bad, if not worse, at Tennessee, but Chad Moore is somehow getting a pass. He is a complete disaster. He comes in at number four. Number three, how about our boy Chip Kelly? So let's give a quick shout out to Chip Kelly because here's the bottom line with Chip Kelly. He, like Scott Frost, was a guy that Florida wanted for their coaching search. By the way, shout out to Florida. I know I'm giving a lot of shout-outs today, but shout-out to Florida, who got very clearly their third choice for a coach, Dan Mullen, and he ended up being by far the best choice because Scott Frost, Chip Kelly, not very good. But Chip Kelly, this is why I want to shout him out. He chose not to go to Florida, and basically the reasoning was, I don't want to be in one of these crazy SEC towns where every game is win-loss, and if we lose, the sky is falling. Now, some might say, I don't want to say he's running from the competition. Some might even say it's smart. You know what I, I'm starting to think? I think Chip Kelly knew, eh, I got a lot of money in the bank. I don't really know how much I really care about this anymore. So let me go someplace where I can kind of hide out in the back 
And if I'm not very good, I can collect my checks so nobody will bother me. Because that's what's going on at UCLA. Chip Kelly, currently 3-11 and at UCLA. Keep in mind, in his four years at Oregon, he lost seven games. He's already lost 11 at UCLA. Um, let's add in the fact that week one, he loses at Cincinnati. Week two, he loses to San Diego State. Here's a wild stat for you. San Diego State and UCLA have been playing football for over 100 years. UCLA was 22-0 coming into last week. They lose to San Diego State last week. Now 1-22. Chip Kelly, I think this guy's just cashing checks. They play Oklahoma this week. Maybe I'm missing something. But I think Chip Kelly is a complete disaster. And I think he knew going in, I don't know if I want to give 110% to this. I'm going to stay away from Gainesville. I'll go to LA. I'll kind of blend in with the crowd. Uh, but you can't hide from 3-11, and 11, which is what Chip Kelly is right now. Number two. Drum roll, please. Willie Taggart at Florida State. So there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast, all different age ranges. I got a lot of you guys that are in college, high school. But for anybody that's like 30 and older, Florida State was the most dominant team of the 90s. Now, other teams had runs. Nebraska was great for a couple years. Tennessee was great for a couple years. Florida under Spurrier. Miami has had peaks and valleys. Florida State was the dominant program of the entire 1990s. I like this first stat. Played for three straight national championships. 98 against Tennessee, they lost. 99 against Virginia Tech, they win. 2000 against Oklahoma, they lose. That program that dominated the 90s then came back under Jimbo Fisher, won another national championship in 2013. Ah, uh, yeah, it's not going good with Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart, 5-7 last year. It was the first time that Florida State missed a bowl game since 1981. This year, the offense, oh my goodness, they're fine. But the defense is just a disaster. 121st in points allowed, 124th in yards allowed. And in case you didn't know, there's only 30 FBS, 130 FBS football teams. So they're pretty bad, relatively speaking. And number one, so to, to give you a quick recap, the most disappointing, worst second-year head coaches in college football. Number six, Kevin Sumlin. Number five, Scott Frost. Number four, Chad Morris. Number three, Chip Kelly. Number two, Willie Taggart. And number one, Jeremy Pruitt. So I've spent a lot of time talking about Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee the last few weeks. I will spare you. The irony of this, of course, is that if you take out that whole coaching search, which I just mentioned... Jeremy Pruitt actually had the best start out of everybody on this list. Tennessee actually started 2-1 last year. At one point, they were 3-3 three and three and coming off a win at Auburn. At one point, they had actually beaten Kentucky, which at the time was ranked in the top 15. They were 5-5. Five and five. All they had to do was win one of their final two games to get bowl eligible. And if they could win one of those final two games... They would go to a bowl game, and the first year the Jeremy Pruitt era would be a success. What happened? Well, they lost 50-17 to to Missouri, at home I should add, and they lost 38-13 to to Vandy. First of all, who, who gives up 38 points to Vandy? But secondly, that was a sign of what was to come this year. It's been a disaster with Georgia State. It's been a disaster with BYU. We talked about both of them. Jeremy Pruitt, the number one most disastrous second-year head coach, 
in large part because, like I told you on last episode, if you look at that schedule, they play Tennessee Chattanooga this week. And let's just, for the sake of sympathy for Tennessee, assume that they win that game. They're still probably looking at a 1-6 and six start to the season. Keep in mind, they've already lost two games. After the Tennessee-Martin game, they go to Florida next week. After that, they get a bye. They host some team called Georgia. Don't know if you heard of them. They're pretty good. Then they host Mississippi State. Then they go to Alabama. And so I'm not kidding when I say that there is a very good chance that Tennessee is going to start 2-6 and six this year. 1-6, and six, excuse me. And that is in a best-case scenario. In a best-case scenario, if they beat Chattanooga. And the fact that we have to acknowledge the fact that they might not beat Chattanooga tells you everything that you need to know about the state of Tennessee football. So worst second-year coaches, Kevin Sumlin, number six, Scott Frost, number five, uh, Chad Morris, number four, Chip Kelly, number three, Willie Taggart, number two, Jeremy Pruitt, number one. All right, I want to wrap with a couple quick things. As I mentioned, I have a USC story to get to. Also, my picks will be coming up. Let's start with that USC story. So USC stories pretty simple. Earlier this week, they end up firing their athletic director, Lynn Swan. By the way, the fact that they have not already named Twitter superstar OJ Simpson their new AD is just blasphemous. It's absurd. Uh, OJ's been on fire on Twitter, if you if you haven't seen. Um, absolute fire. But he's not going to be the AD. And it seems like a minimal story. And I said it off the top. Torres, why would you talk about an AD search on a podcast like this. Well, I'll tell you why. It's because I truly believe that USC made this decision at this exact moment, mid-September, for one very simple reason. They are planning on having a big-time, major football coaching search in the next two to three months, and they need a new AD in place for that to happen. So what do I mean by that? It means that despite the fact that USC is off to a 2-0 start, they, they looked good against Stanford last week. You know what it really says to me? This administration does not believe Chip, uh, Chip, uh, Clay Helton is the answer in the long term. They do not believe he is the guy that is going to lead USC back to the glory days of college football. And so because of it, they need to get somebody in place to get ready to fire him and get ready to hire a new head coach. Now, of course, the big question is, is that guy uh, going to be, is the head coach going to be Urban Meyer? I don't have the answer. I don't know if Urban Meyer is in a rush to get back into coaching like he was last time, but I've also said this many times. I don't know Urban Meyer. I know nothing about him. I know I've never met him, never talked to him, but what I will tell you is this. He is just turned 55 years old a couple months ago. Nick Saban, on the opposite side, is about to turn 69 years old. Why do I bring that up? It's because Urban Meyer is 14 years younger than Nick Saban, and Nick Saban is still going strong. And so I just don't believe that Urban Meyer at 55 years old is going to sit around for another 30 years on the sidelines and never coach football again. I don't know if it'll be at USC next year. I don't know if it'll be the year after. I believe at some point, some job will open. Maybe it'll be Notre Dame. 
Maybe it'll be USC. Maybe it'll be Georgia. Maybe it'll be Florida State. I don't know who would interest him. Maybe it'll be Texas. But at some point, some job is going to open up Urban Meyer that interests him enough to come back to coaching. And I'll be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if it was USC last year. But the one thing with Urban Meyer or the one thing with any big-time coach, they want to work for a good AD, an accomplished AD, an experienced AD, and an AD that they know is going to be there for a while. So the guy that was at USC was Lynn Swan, former player, great player, but had no administrative experience before he got hired for the job. Urban Myers worked for Jeremy Foley at Florida, who's a legend, Gene Smith at Ohio State, who's a legend. You think Urban Myers coming to work for Lynn Swan, who had never been an AD before he got to USC? Of course not. You think any respectable coach, you think Bob Stoops is going to come out of retirement? You think any of the good coaches that might be available, I don't even know who that would be. You think any of those guys are going to come to USC to work for an AD that doesn't know what he's doing is going to get fired? No. So USC making this move because I truly believe they are getting set to make a coaching search. I don't know if it's going to be Urban Meyer. I I think they'll go after him. I don't know if it will be Urban Meyer accepting the job. What I can tell you is that regardless, this AD search was done so that in the next month to six weeks to two months, they can have an AD in place so they can fire Clay Helton and they can get a new head coach coming in. Nostra Torres, I'm telling you that. It is September 11th when I record this. By the way, thoughts and prayers to, to everybody involved with September 11th. Obviously, a lot of people, uh, very you know, kind of tragic day, and we all remember where we were and what we were doing on September 11th. So thoughts and prayers with everybody involved in September 11th. Uh, most of you guys are listening September 12th, September 13th, and I'm telling you on September 12th, September 13th, that Clay Helton will not be the USC head coach in within about six to eight weeks. Surprise, surprise. I know, right? Not, not really breaking news. All right, let's wrap here now with my college football picks. Again, if you follow me on Instagram, the picks go up every Wednesday afternoon. You can also read my write-up at Aaron underscore or Aaron Torres online if you want the full write-up. As I've said many times, I don't pick the biggest games necessarily if I don't think there's value. Clemson, Syracuse, I stayed away from. Florida, Kentucky, I stayed away from. But here are the games that I like in week three of college football. First one, I already went over. Alabama, minus 26 at South Carolina. Alabama played four SEC road games last year. They won all of them by more than 26 points. The fact that South Carolina is starting a true freshman at quarterback, I don't think they may score a single point. Um, I think it's going to be a long, painful night for him. I think South Carolina wins going away. Second game, big game, Arizona State at Michigan State. Two really good defenses. The thing that worries me here for Arizona State, they also are starting a true freshman at quarterback. Michigan State, I think this one's close for about two, two and a half quarters, but Michigan State has the more experienced team. They're at home. Keep in mind, they also lost to Arizona State last year. There's a little bit of a revenge factor. I have Michigan State minus 14. It was 13 and a half on Tuesday. Got it at 14 on Wednesday. Third game, Iowa at Iowa State. Big game, Cyhawk trophy on the line. I took the under in this one, under at 44 and a half. This is what you need to know about this game. First of all, Iowa State, I don't think they can score. And 44 and a half seems like a really low number, and it is. Here's a crazy stat for you. Iowa State, of their 13 games last year, seven games would have gone under 44 and a half. 
That is how little they score and how much they value defense. Iowa, also a top 10 defense. Again, you can get the full write-up, AaronTorresOnline.com, but I like the under of 44 and a half. All right, next game, Arkansas hosting Colorado State. I kind of gave you the rundown of Arkansas a minute ago. I think they might legitimately be the worst team in Power 5 football, worse than Oregon State, worse than Vanderbilt, worse than anybody. The fact that they are a nine-point favorite against Colorado State is insane to me. Colorado State, the one thing that they can do is score points and move the ball. 500 yards of offense against Colorado in week one, 500 yards of offense in week two. I don't know if Arkansas will lose this game. Arkansas is about to open SEC play next week. This is their best chance at a win for a while. They may get the win, but if they get the win, it's something like 28 to 20 or something like that where Colorado State scores enough points. I think Colorado State can win this game outright. Would not be surprised by that, but I do think that they do enough to cover the points. Florida State, Willie Taggart, I mentioned. The offense is a disaster. They're at Virginia this week. Virginia might actually be the second best team in the ACC. By the way, Brandon Walker, Barstool Sports, coming up next. We talk about his career, all that wild stuff. Brandon Walker loves Virginia in this game too. I actually like the over in this game. Florida State's going to score points. Florida State is also going to give up a ton of points. Virginia plays good defense, but this might be the best offense Virginia plays all year. Uh, so because of that, I think Florida puts up, you know, 28 to 30. I also think that Virginia easily puts up significantly more than that. Virginia wins going away, but I like the over of 57. Final two games, Texas is playing Rice in Houston. Rice is in Houston. It's not technically a, a road game for Texas. It's a neutral site game, but I'll tell you this. These are two schools that used to play each other every year. Now Texas basically never plays them, and when they do, it's always in Austin. The first time since 2000. Six, I believe, that they've played in Houston. Rice is going to be jacked up. Texas, I think they'll come out sharp on defense, but I think on offense, they're going to try to put up points and get Sam Ellinger out of this game. Remember, Big 12 play starts next week. They don't want Sam Ellinger getting hurt in this game. So the under is 56.5. I like the under in this game because I think they try to get Sam Ellinger out as soon as possible. Last game with the picks. Oklahoma minus 23 at UCLA. Look, I did the Chip Kelly speech already. This line makes no sense to me because I'm not saying that it just makes no sense to me. I was going to try to justify and make excuses for UCLA. I just don't see it. I don't get how they can be uh, anything less than like a four touchdown underdog in this game. Oklahoma is going to score a ton of points. UCLA is incapable of scoring. Oklahoma's defense is better than it's been. The over-under was about 72.5. I almost took the over in this one, too. I, I almost took the under, excuse me, because I don't think UCLA is going to be able to score. I stayed away, but I did take Oklahoma minus 23. So again, to quickly recap, and again, all these picks are on AaronTorresOnline.com. Also, my Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres Instagram. I have Alabama minus 26, Michigan State minus 14, Iowa, Iowa State under 44 and a half. Colorado State at Arkansas. Colorado State as a nine-point underdog, nine-and-a-half-point underdog. I got Colorado State plus nine-and-a-half. Florida State, Virginia over 57. Texas, Rice under 56-and-a-half. And Oklahoma minus 23 at UCL.
Hey, all right. That is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, at least my portion of the show. As I mentioned, Brandon Walker from Barstool Sports coming up. By the way, next couple weeks got a lot of really good guests. So please make sure you're subscribed to the show. Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Podbean, Podcast Addict if you have an Android. Also, uh, Spotify is where you can listen to the show. Make sure to rate and review the show. Give me a quick five stars like my boy Casey Matthews. Uh, Also, Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast is the Instagram. And finally, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Promise to get to some of them as we get closer to basketball. Fun show today. Brandon Walker coming up from Barstool Sports. Thank you guys for listening. Shout out to my boy Torrent Craig, and I will be back on Monday. But first, here is Brandon Walker, Barstool Sports. All right, and joining me on the phone now from Barstool Sports, he hosts the Walk the Line show as well as the Unnecessary Roughness podcast. Brandon Walker. Brandon, first of all, I don't think it's called the Walk the Line show, but it's called Walk the Line, right? Is that the correct uh, the correct term? That is correct. My show that comes on every day with uh, gambling lines and some funny content is called Walk the Line. And you're right, Unnecessary Roughness is the twice a week college football podcast we do here at Barstool Sports. Fantastic. Yeah, and you host with Casey Smith, who's been on this show, good friend of mine. Uh, real quick, I want to talk some ball with you, but before we do... I, um, you know, I find your story fascinating, uh, how you kind of ended up at Barstool is kind of a really funny story. And, uh, I want you, I want to kind of hear it in your own words, to be honest. So you obviously, uh, have, uh, been covering college football for a long time. You were doing a Periscope show for my bookie and, and my bookie is a friend of mine, but obviously, uh, your boss, Dave Portnoy now at Barstool, uh, was kind of having some issues with them. Uh, he ends up offering you a job on the spot, and I, I don't know how long it took for you to accept it, but you end up at Barstool. I guess I would just ask, one, how crazy has the last, I don't know, year, nine months, whatever been, and two, how you been uh, enjoying Barstool so far? Well, I've been a sports writer since 2004, and I can unequivocally say since April 10th, 2019 until now, has been the busiest, most insane, craziest, and most awesome time of my entire career. Uh, that's when I got hired at Barstool. You just laid it out pretty good. But I, I was a sports writer for a while. I was working at an SEC Country down in Atlanta, yep. Atlanta10.com, SECCountry.com, all of those. And May 23rd, 2018, the company went under. So sure. for a year, I just put some things together. I was uh, directing some podcasts for people, doing my own podcasts, and doing other stuff on the side. And I picked up a uh, show, a gambling show every day for the company that you mentioned, and one day, Dave Portnoy and that company got to auction with each other and got to compete, and I just happened to be caught in the crosshair. <laughs> sure. And lo and behold, I've been trying to build this audience, build this audience for this place, and lo and behold, I'm expecting 50 people to be watching, and here come 1,300 angry Marshall fans. <laughs> sure. And they were pissed. They wanted my head. They wanted me. They wanted me strung up, but I just, I went through it. I didn't panic. I got through it, and turns out that was my audition. I didn't know it. Dave called me the next day and said, I want to hire you. And I said, well, okay, hire me. And he said, all right, well, here's the terms. Here's what I want. You need to do it right now. I said, well, I got some people back at the company that I don't want to ruin the friendship. Uh, I need a day to talk about it, and I'll call you back and accept tomorrow. And he said, no, right now, you're in or you're out. And I was in. I had to do it uh, for my family. I joined Barstool, and 
listen, I think it's the future of, uh, of where we're going in sports media. It, it's honest. It's refreshing. It is bold. It is everything I wanted to be the entire time. I just didn't know it. I love being a Barstool sport. Yeah, and obviously, um, you know, people have differing views on Barstool, but I just think that, you know, my personal opinion is uh, I've been doing this not quite as long as you, but pretty long. And one, I always try to be fun, relaxed, honest, whatever. But two, any company that has grown the way that Barstool has in the past decade, uh, people are doing something right there. And I consume a lot of Barstool stuff, including uh, some of your podcasts and all that stuff. And I think what you guys are doing there is awesome. Uh, how was So you're based out of New York now, right? I mean, how was the move up to New York? I have to imagine it was kind of a, a whirlwind that in and of itself as well. Oh, it was crazy. You know, I was living in Mississippi, and for the first couple of months, uh, Dave let me work in Mississippi, and, and then he floated the idea of me doing a college football podcast and being on the weekly Barstool Sports College Football Show, our studio show that we do, mm-hmm. and he said, let's do that. I need you here in New York. So that took me about 12 seconds. So, <laughs> all right, I'll leave Mississippi, where I've been my whole life. I'll come to New York. It's a completely new environment. I have four kids, but, you know, scared money don't make money, so I just jumped in. Full, uh, full on. I dove into the deep end of the pool, and here I am in New York City as we speak. What's the biggest change? Uh, I mean, there's a million, but what is? What would you say the biggest change is being there? Um, the pace of life, the travel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting to work on a train every day as opposed to getting in your car and driving five minutes. Uh, you know, not being able to get sweet tea at restaurants. There's a ton of things that are different up here, but I would say the pace of life and just the hustle. Yeah, it sounds like a cliche, but the hustle and bustle of everyday life is just a free thing from what I used to. Yeah, no, I grew up in Connecticut, spent a lot of time in New York, so I uh, I know exactly what you're talking about, and uh, I live on the West Coast now, so it is a change of pace for me as well. Uh, I would just ask real quick, you know, you mentioned that you host the uh, podcast a couple times a week, you obviously do the show, as you said, every day as well as on Sunday. For people, like I said, everybody loves, everybody consumes Barstool ton of people love it like what is your everyday life like i know you kind of mentioned uh doing work on the train and all that kind of stuff but like take us in now it is football season now you are hosting all those shows as you said you've never worked harder and i appreciate you making some time to do this with me man but how crazy are your days what do your days kind of look like oh they're crazy i mean they're insane like last night for example Okay, now let me take you back to Friday. Friday Let's morning, do it. I go down to Clemson, Clemson, South Carolina. Clemson A&M, it was wonderful. We did a live show in front of hundreds, maybe thousands of just rats. I'm planning to come back to New York Sunday morning. I'm doing a gambling show for NFL Pick. Uh, I'm talking about that. The Sunday afternoon, I record my podcast. Yesterday, I come in and record some other college football stuff. I'm getting my pick ready for next week. I'm looking at the rankings. I'm doing all that. And then I do a live stream for Monday Night Football last night from Hooters in downtown Manhattan. Sure. And I can't even, I mean, I can't even stop to breathe. But listen, you're, I'm sure you're like me or you wouldn't be doing this. I live, eat, and breathe college football. I live, eat, and breathe sports. So I'm like a duck in water. The fact that they're turning me loose and letting me do all this stuff, excuse me, all, all this stuff is incredible. And I'm just, I'm happy to be doing it. So here's my, this is my biggest question. So, I'm one of those guys that when I make picks, like I got to watch all the games to to feel good about what I'm doing. Uh, your picks are on fire to start the year one. And two, like you said, you're hopping on a plane every weekend to go live on site. How are you able, how, how are the picks so hot? I mean, that's what's kind of stood out to me looking at your stuff is you're on fire and like, I don't know how you have time to do all of it, my man. 
Well, it's just it's just moving up your calendar. Like I used to, uh, I used to you know look early in the week at picks. I would pick like ten or twelve games, and I would whittle them down by Saturday to my five or six best. Well, now I just whittle them down by Thursday, and I go ahead and put them in. And I know that I'm going to be traveling. I don't have the stress of a normal gambler of a normal gambling day because usually the stress of a college football gambling day is you play the early game, yep. and then in the in the in the uh, the two thirty games or three o'clock games, you're either trying to chase or you're celebrating <laughs> some found money. Sure. And you could get yourself into trouble there. Well, I'm not living that roller coaster right now, or at least I haven't for two weeks. I went six and one on Saturday. I went to, I believe, four and no, I, I went very good. I'm I'm ten and three on the year so far in the picks I've given out publicly. So I don't know. It's just uh it's just a pace that has been very good for me so far and I really hate that you spoke it into existence because now you're gonna make me worry about it. I'm sorry, the picks but... are gonna go haywire. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, I my picks are pretty doing pretty well. Uh these first couple weeks and I feel like I'm due to come back down to earth. So maybe I spoke it into existence for myself. Uh, real quick, uh, we're through two weeks. I know you were on the road last week at Clemson, uh, but whether it is from a gambling perspective, from a CFB perspective, just the broad picture, I mean, what kind of stands out to you through two weeks? I mean, kind of the teams that we thought would be good are good. Obviously, maybe LSU was a little bit of a surprise. What, in terms of actual football, the stuff that you've been able to see or at least kind of, uh, you know, reviewed or gone over or whatever, like what would you say kind of stands out to you about the season so far? I think the teams that have stood out so far the most are the teams that have been bitter disappointment. Sure. I don't think anybody has really separated themselves at the top of the heat yet, but at the bottom of the heat, I mean, Tennessee has separated itself as just utter, utter crap so far this season. I mean, <laughs> sure. they're having one of the worst seasons in history. Florida State looks, looks like a, a train wreck, and they look awful. I think the disappointing teams are the ones that have kind of had the spotlight so far. Now, as far as good teams, I mean, elite teams look like elite teams. I think the separation in the elite and the rest of college football maybe is as big this year as it's ever been. I just, and Clemson, nobody's close to them. Alabama, nobody's close to them. Georgia is up there. LSU does look really good. I'll say this, though. I was as impressed with Texas as I was LSU. I think there is a scenario that Texas gets through the season with one loss. With that offense to do what they did against LSU's defense, which is elite, they impressed me just as much as LSU. But, you know, I, I really don't think there's been any surprises so far. Sure. You know, Brandon Nebraska's another team that kind of disappointed me. I think people are a little ahead of them. Uh, maybe it's a year too early for them. But the disappointments like Tennessee and Florida State, to me, have garnered most of my attention. Yeah, I saw one of your tweets about um, basically kind of the takeaways on your most recent podcast was that uh, Jeremy Pruitt's just a train wreck. I mean – do you feel like, and I was one of those guys that was like, dude, you don't go from high school coach in Alabama to SEC head coach in 10 years if you don't know what you're doing, and yet somehow maybe he doesn't in fact know what he's doing. I mean, is this as bad as it looks? Because I'm a type of guy, like I try to keep the 360-degree perspective, try not to overreact, but I look at that schedule. I know they got a bunch of tough games coming up, including your Mississippi State Bulldogs, and I'm like, man – I don't think this gets better, and I don't know where that leaves him, you know, by the mid-late end October, early November. I'm not saying he'll be fired, but it's just like, dude, if they couldn't get those two wins early, I don't know how that gets better. They are staring down the barrel of 1-6, and, and that yep. is if they beat Chattanooga this weekend. And I <laughs> yep. assume they'll beat Chattanooga. If they don't beat Chattanooga in the 0-3, he might get fired next week. Oof. But if they beat Chattanooga, 
Then they've got, I believe, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, Alabama is their four-game stretch summing up. Now, Mississippi State's obviously the most winnable game, but there are no other winnable games in that stretch. They can't beat Florida or Florida or Alabama. So they're, they're staring down the barrel of one and six. But what's most concerning to me isn't the fact that they lost to Florida State. Isn't the fact they lost to BYU in a game that they had to invent new ways to lose. Yep. It's the fact that Stewart just doesn't seem big enough for the job. He doesn't seem big enough for the moment. And you never know when you hire a coordinator if he translates to a good coach. Some, some guys are meant to be Bill Belichick. Some guys are meant to be Wade Phillips, you know, great, mm. great defensive coordinators. It's just you never know until they get that opportunity. I don't know that he's big enough for the moment. Today or, or earlier this week, he – he is comparing Tennessee. He's saying we are the Titanic, and some of the rats are jumping ship. The leader of the excuse me, almost cursed. You the can leader, curse, curse, swear. Go ahead. Okay, the leader of the, the organization, the leader of the team, can't be the one to say we're the Titanic. Yeah, that is, that is garbage. That's not a leader. That's that's somebody who is not big enough for the job. And I think, I think they hired the wrong guy. Well, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't disagree that maybe it's the wrong guy. Here was my big takeaway. I was talking to some people in Knoxville about this. Tell me if you agree. So there is obviously look like half of the SEC is former top Saban assistants: um, Jimbo Fisher, Will Muschamp, Jeremy Pruitt, Kirby Smart, whatever. And I'm sitting there saying, like, like this is my personal takeaway: is I think some of these guys, including Muschamp and really Pruitt specifically. You, it's cool to play the Nick Saban, and I will swear here, it's cool to play the Nick Saban I'm a freaking asshole card when you're Nick Saban and you're beating everybody 62 to nothing. It's another thing when you're losing to Georgia State and you're Will Muschamp and you're losing to North Carolina and all that stuff. I think that's actually the biggest mistake that he's made. One, he's not very good as a coach, but two, it's like, dude, I don't feel like he's really owning up to anything and he's not answering questions and... My personal takeaway is like, it's one thing to be bad. It's another thing to be bad and have and do things that piss off the media. Because as you said, you've been covering college football a long time now. Once the media turns on you, it's hard to get it back. And I'm not saying they've completely turned on him, but I just think, man, he's got to turn off the Nick Saban a hole kind of mentality. Because it's like I feel like that's burying him as much as the wins and losses are. Well. Am I crazy? You, know, I you can tell easy. me I'm wrong, by the way, if you think I'm wrong. No, no. You know, it's easy to do a Nick Saban impression. It's very easy to do a Nick Saban impression off the field. Yep. It's hard to do it on the field when you don't have his access to five-star linebackers and defensive backs and the endless flood of talent that he gets and that he's earned over the years. So when that goes away, you're exposed to what you are exposed. And I have not been impressed with what we've seen out there in the career so far. All right, very good. couple questions. I'll let you get out of here. Like you said, you are a very busy man. Uh, you are a Mississippi State guy. I'm just curious. So, yep. all right, here's the scoop. I've been following Joe Moorhead. He was the offensive coordinator at my alma mater, UConn, when UConn was actually half-decent at football. And I've always kind of had a, a rooting interest in him being successful. He obviously was really good at Penn State. Uh, I was pretty underwhelmed in year one. Uh, where do you think or how do you feel this program is? Where, wh like, What are your just big-picture thoughts uh, on where Joe Moorhead is? It's early in year two, but just curious. So, I year one was underwhelming. And if you look at that on the surface, you could say, well, 
as Joe Moyer underwhelmed in his first year, but Joe Moyer is underwhelming. I don't believe that to be a fact at all. I believe you can pinpoint exactly why last year was disappointing. He has a number one defense in the country, but he had a Dan Mullen style quarterback. And Dan Mullen does very well with Dan Mullen style quarterback. Joe Moorhead, that's not his style quarterback. Nick Fitzgerald, Joe Moorhead just didn't fit last year. Didn't fit whatsoever. It's not Nick Fitzgerald's fault. It's not Joe Moorhead's fault. But so far this year, with his quarterback, Tommy Stevens, who he went and got from Penn State, the offense is efficient. The right reads are getting made. The right throws are getting made. And it looks like a very clean, very good offense. I almost look at year one as just punt it. Punt it down the road. doesn't matter. It's over. You'll never have that problem again where you're coaching with somebody else's quarterback. But once he gets his players in for his offense, I think the future is very bright for Joe Moorhead and Mississippi State. You do, huh? You trust him? I do. I, I'm not I, – like, like I said, the first year was disappointing. It really was. That's over. It's not 2018. I'll never live a day in 2018 again in my life. And neither will anybody else. So we got to get rid of that. And I, I just think with his quarterback, he's a great offensive coach. See, that sounds like a little Saban, uh, Saban uh, ology itself. That was like a Bill Belichick, we're on to Kansas State, not focused on the pass kind of deal right there. Well, I'm a, I'm a piece of shit homer. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I, I'm uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you want me to sit here and give you some X's and O's? No, you want me to give no. Some, some, ira- some irrational homer take. That, that is uh, – well, listen, I don't know if it's irrational. I don't even know if it's a homer take. No, I'm just busting your balls. All right, uh, kind of a slow slate in week three. I'll let you out of here on this. I mean, one, I'm not going to ask you for your gambling picks. I know those go up exclusively on Barstool. But outside of, uh, I guess, Mississippi State, Kansas State, like what are you looking forward to to week three? Again, it's a little bit of a slow slate, but uh, anything you got that you're interested in coming into this weekend? Well, I love the Iowa-Iowa State game. Do you game of pure hatred i also hate iowa so it is definitely a robbery game and it kind of takes from center this week because like you're right there's not really any good game i gotta be can i just stop and say something real quick lay it on me what's up i've been i've been remarkably disappointed with the early season games this year i mean we have one really good game in oregon over week one you had two really good games Pennsylvania and and uh, lsu texas and now this weekend you got nothing this sure. has just been a a terrible opening three weeks for interesting interconference matchups. I just, I'm ready for the football to hit the fan. I'm ready for, for stuff to go crazy. And here we are. You ask me what I like, and I have to say Iowa, Iowa State. I'm like, this is the bottom of the barrel here. So but that is, that is, a, that is an interesting game. It will be a war. And I don't want, if you didn't ask me any gambling picks, but the one I love the most is not an SEC game, it's not Iowa, Iowa State, but. I think Virginia is the second-best team in the ACC, and I think they're going to beat the hell out of Florida State. Yeah, I was actually uh, – I gave my, my picks earlier, and I think my only concern with that is Florida State can score, uh, but they give up a lot of points. And so I, I think that even though Virginia is, I think, really good defensively, that could be a little bit of uh, – you know, it could be a little bit more high-scoring than people think, at least my personal opinion – uh, and yeah, the the week uh, the early season slate is like very very disappointingly awful. It's funny, my radio host, uh, the guy I do radio with on Saturday, he's been on this for three weeks, and I don't have a good reason why it is. The good thing about college football is at least you get a game here and there, like Michigan Army, where you don't expect things to go kind of the way they do, and then you at least get a good game. Uh, anything else before I let you go, man? Like you said, you're busy. I appreciate you giving me some time. Anything else you're looking for? Uh, week three, week four, heading into conference play next week. I mean, anything else stand out? 
Well, I think James really did start to pick up next week. I, I, I think you'll get some uh, more interesting matchups. I know Michigan and Wisconsin is next week. Uh, just off the top of my head, I'm struggling to come up with others, but I know we got some good. Georgia Notre Dame, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's the game of the week next week, Georgia Notre Dame. So it gets better. It gets better from here, but really, to be honest, Aaron, a bad weekend of college football is usually better than a good weekend of anything else. So as much as I might complain and be a little bitch about it, <laughs> I can't wait for this weekend. I cannot wait for this weekend. Uh, that was funny. Uh, no, you're not being a bitch about it. The games do not look great on paper, but like I said, the good thing about college football is you're always going to find stuff uh, that pops up. All right, Brandon Walker, uh, walk the line on Barstool, Unnecessary Roughness, the podcast with Casey Smith, who I will have to have on at some point, of course. He's on Twitter, at BWalkerSEC. Brandon, it was fun, man. We will do it again soon. Uh, hopefully there will be more to talk about, but I appreciate you making some time, man, and chatting some football. All right, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.